this is Give Me Some Truth. This podcast features appearances from Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, and myself, Mitch DeWitt, from Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. Give Me Some Truth is dedicated to providing an accessible and authentic view into the financial services industry, as well as current events and investment concepts that you can apply in your day-to-day life. Here are your hosts. to give me some truth. We have another special guest in the booth today, along with Clint and myself. This is Mitch DeWitt kicking us off here. And we have Zach Blumenfeld from Third Space and CultureCon. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. So for starters, you are pretty active in the Madison entrepreneurial community. Could you Mm -hmm. give us a little update on on what you're doing and a little background on yourself? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Born and raised right here in Madison, Wisconsin. Went away for school, went to UW-Milwaukee for a little bit, then transferred up to Minnesota. Still a diehard Badger fan. They didn't convert me up there. Uh, Came back here for work, and I don't think I'll ever leave. I love Madison. Great place to be. Uh, Booming tech hub. A lot of great things happening in the startup community here, so excited to be uh, part, play a small part in that. Um, and yeah, right now, my two main focuses are Third Space and CultureCon. So Third Space, we have a culture software which focuses on personal professional development and then also uh, employee engagement. Uh, and CultureCon spun off of Third Space, so it's a, a conference all about workplace culture. Um, and you know, with culture being one of the hottest topics in business today, um, it, it's been really cool to see all the different types of people and companies uh, contribute and interact with CultureCon, come to our conferences, join our uh, CultureCon community membership, which we just launched, and really um, trying to keep culture top of mind and really make work meaningful and fulfilling and fun for everyone. So yeah, I'm a big culture geek and uh, try to do a lot in that space. So. And before I go too much into culture or the entrepreneurial community here, you are still a Badger fan, oh, even yeah. after go graduating from yep. Minnesota. You're the second guest, actually, that we've had on this podcast that <laughs> went away to Minnesota, got their degree, but they're always going to be the Badger fan. I think it's something just being like homegrown in Madison. It's really hard to take a Badger out of you. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just part of who you are. It's, <laughs> I bleed red. So That's awesome. Yeah. So, so back to culture, right? And you're talking specifically about some of the, the organizations or companies that this is a need for, and it's, it's probably not just the startup, right? I oh, mean, no, yeah. This it's is something everyone. that some of the big dogs in town are looking to enhance as well for, for talent acquisition and retaining yep. employees and everything too, correct? Yeah, yeah. It was interesting looking at the attendee list for CultureCon because a lot of times we think culture and we think that kind of lives in HR, but... HR is so busy with, you know, laws and regulations and benefits, and sometimes culture becomes an afterthought, um, and the people of the organization is the most vital part. You don't have the people, you're not going to have an organization. And so looking at the attendee list, um, there was people from HR, but it was a very small percent, actually. It was people anywhere from, we had interns to marketing folks to accounting to C-suite, you know, 
top level executives there. Um, so it really was everyone, which I think added to the value because people were connecting with like-minded people, but they came from different backgrounds, different industries. And the type of companies that were there, we saw startups, we saw some of the biggest companies in town, Fortune 500, we had Zappos from Las Vegas. Um, so a really wide range of companies and industries as well. So it kind of shows you that culture is everywhere. Every organization has a culture um, and it is a hot topic, the hottest topic in business and people are talking about it and wanna, wanna learn more, like how can they make work better and fun for everyone, so. Yeah. So how can you go about, um, what kind of metrics do you use to kind of measure culture in an organization? I mean, yeah. it's, it's an abstract concept, right. so, and you have so many people that wanna look at the data, right? So, so yeah. how do you kind of measure that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I get asked that all the time. Um, culture is a very warm and squishy word. It is hard to measure. So my, my way about going about it is that we kind of take different aspects that bubble up to culture. So things like turnover, employee engagement, development, and those are things you can measure. Turnover is really expensive in an organization. A lot of times my value prop to prospect with Third Space is, hey, if Third Space can save you one turnover event from happening, it probably pays for itself right there. If you're looking at a, a high level executive, a lot of times it's about 4X of their annual salary just to replace that employee. So it's pretty crazy how, um, how expensive turnover is. And I think a little bit of turnover is important and it kind of gets people out of the culture that don't fit, brings in new innovative minds. Um, but if you get over a certain threshold, it's like, man, you, you really need to work on this because you can directly add up the numbers and see how expensive it is. Uh, employee engagement, there's a, a number of great tools out there to help measure that. Um, and employee engagement and turnover kind of go hand in hand. About 70% of employees in the U.S. are disengaged at work. And if you go outside the U.S. economy and just take the entire world into account, almost 90% of employees are disengaged at work. So pretty much everyone is disengaged. And there's no, um, you know, people think like, hey, we can, you know, just put a ping pong table in the break room or the kegerator or organic juice bar and that'll fix it. But those are like nice to have and you get that honeymoon effect. So after six months or so, that starts to wear off and people will look for another place to go work. Um, we also see turnover numbers are at all time highs. And I think there's a direct correlation between disengagement and turnover. So if you can fix that. Uh, engagement number, which you can measure, you can fix that turnover number, which you can measure and ultimately measure culture from different aspects like that. And you have a tool, now you develop the software a tool mm -hmm. um, to utilize towards, I don't know if measuring culture, but at least getting a pulse of, of what's going on inside of the organization. So you go through a little bit about the development process. Did you develop the software yourself? No, I'm not a developer. <laughs> I'm very envious of people that can code. I, I am too, yeah, yes. Yeah. So I've, I've learned a lot, but I could never code. It's, um, it takes a different skill set than what I have, a lot of patience, and <laughs> I don't have that. So, so how did you go about uh, the development of the software then? Yeah, so um, looking back on our journey so far with Third Space, I think our biggest not downfall, but what we were really missing on our team was a, you know, someone with a really big tech background. So we've always outsourced development. Um, it kind of makes sense in early stage to outsource because uh, you need front end, you need back end, UX, UI, you need a lot of different skill sets. And to find one person that can do that is very rare, especially in Madison. Um, so we outsourced to local firms um, and just kind of as we grew, 
uh, our software and our client base, we kind of outgrew those firms. And um, yeah, now we're really happy where we are now and um, getting some really good work done. And they have a whole team and a, you know, a company of people that you can kind of pick and choose where your needs are. If it's, you know, front end design, they can have your team heavier on that side of things. If it's really just like back end, you know, you're building databases, they can have it kind of heavy on the, uh, the back end side of things. So you can kind of mix and match with outsourcing to, um, to really help like your needs at that point. Um, you can also do offshore, which is, you know, Eastern Europe or India. Um, we had some struggles with that. I think just because our issue, the problem we're trying to solve is culture and it's very um, different cultures in different parts of the world. So what we look in a development team is really to find someone who can understand the problem that we're trying to solve. And if you have them really buying into what you're doing, the developers we see right now are really excited about what we're doing because they can feel those problems firsthand. Uh, and they understand that and it makes the code that much better because they understand the problem. And so what is the, uh, what's the goal of the software and what, what does it all do? Yeah, so we try to be a culture solution. So there's a lot of tools, kind of if you look at the HR tech space, you th see tools like um, performance management, communication tools like a Slack or Teams, you see engagement surveys. But these tools are really uh, management driven. So they're given to management and management gives them to employees and really to help uh, productivity, to help your employees be more productive. So what we do at Third Space is we kind of spin that. So we've built a uh, people-centric software as a service where employees get to kind of build and create that the culture that they want and need to succeed. So it's a little different than just like an engagement survey because we did you know two or three years of research on culture issues and problems. And um, most times when a company takes an engagement survey, they kind of fall into these buckets of challenges that they need to fix. And those are what our software tries to fix. So at first we thought, an engagement survey would be competition, but now we're actually starting to partner with them because they struggle with the solution because the company gets the results and then it's like, hey, you have to hire um, an expensive consultant or a lot of times they don't do much with the results. So they kind of have been partnering with us so then we can kind of plug in as that solution and try to help actually solve the problem. So more of a culture solution than the diagnostic aspect. And from the perspective, I mean, just from viewing the website a bit and doing some research ahead of time, um, you know, I, I gather that you're trying to do more of a two-way conversation instead of a top-down sort of conversation exactly. between management and employees, correct? Yeah, yeah. So it's really, um, it's a very open system, and we've done a lot of research. We actually worked with a clinical psychologist who um, focuses on what's called the self-determination theory, and that theory all, it focuses on autonomy, mastery, and connection. And we believe, like, if our system can pr uh, provide autonomy for the employee, that helps build trust with their their manager, other other coworkers, and those are going to create and strengthen those relationships. That ultimately helps foster that culture that the employee wants and needs. So it's a very open system. The company um, has a lot of flexibility how to set it up, but also the the user, the employee, has a lot of autonomy in the system as well. What is the reach of Third Space geographically? Where where are clients coming from for you guys? Yeah, we um, have clients all over the country. We have a large base in the Midwest here. Uh, it just makes sense, early stage startup, I can go to their office and help them out. But I mean, we have one client who is completely remote all over North America. So that's a really interesting client because there is no 
Um, there's no brick and mortar. There's no office like this. They use Third Space as their online office, and they have an annual meeting. And if you miss that, you know, you wait two years before you, you see another person, uh, which is interesting. But I think the future of work is going that way of remote work, and we see a lot of companies these days um, expanding their remote teams. You, you hear in the news, like big companies, like a year or two ago, uh, IBM brought all their remote workers in-house. But um, I think the trend is really expanding to, to grow the remote workforce, kind of with the gig economy as well adding to that. Yeah, my wife's a microcosm of that because uh, she she went off and she freelances now and she's in the, the learning development space, the e-learning space, so she takes on contracts that are shorter term in nature. And, you right. know, it's it's really interesting to watch that because you're in a you're kind of a temporary worker, but you're embedded right into the culture of the organization. You have to do learning management and get up to speed on the culture of the organization right away. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's there's not a lot of training, and she's a trainer. You know, so it's there's not a lot of training up front for mm -hmm. all of that, and to keep a culture inside of a remote organization has to be an incredible challenge. You know, because you can set up your office however you want in your house and work out it in your shorts and t-shirt, and right. you know that sounds great to me. But um, you know, also being able to keep that organization with some type of sameness as far as the culture, I think it's a huge challenge. Yeah, and I've worked pretty much remote my entire life. My first job out of school, I started kind of working in the office, but it, it is a challenge, especially um, the last company I worked for had about 1,000 employees, and only 300 of them worked in the offices here by the airport. The other 700 worked remotely. Um, and you do feel a different culture. I mean, they had a great culture, but you still felt siloed at times because you don't know what's going on at headquarters and um, a big problem we see even if you're in the same office is those subcultures start to emerge um, because you have all these departmental silos like marketing isn't going to work on a project with IT a lot of the time so we kind of cook that into our software to have different notifications to try to really bridge those gaps and bring people together one cohesive company and not just like IT's over here doing their thing and marketing's over here but really bringing different departments together. How many people are involved in Third Space? So we have a team of eight right now, and we actually all work remote too. So we have uh, Todd Hoskins is our chief culture officer. He's in Michigan. Uh, Logan handles our marketing down in Chicago. Everyone else is pretty much Madison-based. Um, and we meet up you know, on the square, different coffee shops, or uh, you know, cask and ale, grab a drink or two, just to kind of do like team, team meetings. And uh, each week we have a Monday night meeting where we all get on Google Hangouts and um, just kind of like have a video chat, kind of state of the state, see what's going on in everyone's different department. Um, but yeah, it works well. I mean, I think being, having third space to kind of utilize uh, for our own team has been helpful because it really helps connect us um, and we have being a startup, you wear a lot of different hats. So, you know, we have someone in sales, but they also are working on our marketing rebrand, and they also have uh, client success under their hat. So it's it's a lot of different um, hats you wear, which I think helps with those subcultures and departmental silos because everyone really helps out. And, um, yeah, we have to figure out as we keep growing and scaling how we keep that involved so it's not just, oh, now we're growing, so here's marketing, you're doing your thing, here's sales, do your thing, but really keeping everyone engaged and involved uh, together. And you actually kind of answered my follow-up question that I was going to ask because I was going to say, as you guys grow and as you guys scale, you know, how are what are some of the challenges that you're seeing to keep that culture intact? And, and you hit on some of those things, but that's exactly where I was getting at. And it sounds like you're using the tool yourselves, of yeah, course, which yeah. is huge, and and you're you're not just selling something to others and not using it yourself, right? That's truly right. embedded into your own processes as mm -hmm. a firm as well. Yeah, totally. Kind of you know, walk the walk, talk the talk, kind of thing. Um, 
I think a big challenge, and this isn't just us, this is everyone, whether it's startups or larger corporations, is kind of the hot buzzword right now, diversity and inclusion. Um, so making sure as we continue to grow, we're inclusive of everyone, which, we, I mean, we, we definitely are. We're trying to do that, but it's something that you have to actively act on. So trying to reach out to have people of all different backgrounds and gender, genders and race and ethnicity. Um, so we're really keeping that top of mind. That's kind of one of our goals this year um, to really make sure we have an inclusive organization, very diverse organization, because I think a lot of innovation happens that way when you have people bringing in different backgrounds and different ways of thinking. Um, that's where the innovation really happens. And uh, I've, uh, CultureCon, that was a huge topic. It was one of the number one topics in one of our highest rated uh, breakout sessions. So um, people are acting on it, which is cool to see. Uh, MadRep here in town just did a study, and I'm going to forget the exact statistic, but it was something like 93 or 94% of top-level executives in the Madison area are white. So I think that's a huge problem right there. And as you kind of go down the ladder, um, people start coming from different races and ethnicities. But um, really, as a community, I think we needed to do a better job, and we're starting to do a better job at really opening that up for, for everyone. And in our industry, we definitely see that sure. as well. Yeah. And, and you look at our office, right? And there's there's not a whole lot of diversity currently yeah. in our office, but right. that's something that, that is a big challenge for us too. It is a big challenge because you know it's. I think it starts with education too. You know, uh, you know you've got to be able to identify uh, career paths and and provide people the resources and opportunities to be able to go into them to start in in finance or in other careers and businesses have to look be more forward thinking and say, right. okay, we need to to grab this individual they might not be ready to produce right away but to invest in them and make sure that that you're doing that i mean yeah i mean that's that's an issue i i also think that uh and, and i think what you've said around here is, is something i think is very important in business now and that is that we're approaching this sort of radical transparency sort of time inside of culture now and i think that's really helpful for business now and it's it's a book that i just read from ray dalio who talks about you know principles of life and work and um it's a tremendous book and and i got it for everybody in the office because i, I think it's just so important to to be very transparent and very honest about things and just living everything out in the open um and we're trying to do that that's one of the things that we're trying to do in our culture is to make sure that there is no hidden agenda um, there's no politics. There's no nothing. It's it's all out in the open and shared with everyone, even though some of it might be painful to hear. Uh, but we, we do that and try to practice and we're trying to live that. That's like our 2018, 2019 initiative is to really do that. And as we grow to keep that sort of culture inside. So we went from two to four. And I don't know, maybe we'll be from four to eight or something yeah. like that. I have no idea. And when our culture gets there, we don't want to lose our culture either. So right. it's something that we, we really think is important for our organization and it's a differentiator. So um, I'm glad to hear that you're fighting the good fight there. Yeah, I think transparency is huge, and we we see that work very well in many of our clients. Even just using Third Space to have like a a CEO blog space where you, the CEO or president can post something, and then people comment and really just have that two way interaction. It shows like, hey, I'm more than a CEO. I'm a human, just like you guys. So let's let's connect and engage. Like, oh, we all like the Packers. Let's let's talk about that. Just. Simple things like that really, really make a, a difference. And I think a lot of people, both millennials and Gen Z now who enter the workforce, um, they're driven by more than a paycheck. So I think culture is the new paycheck. I've seen that kind of on a uh, couple article titles. So I'm not coining that term, but I've, I've seen that a lot. Um, and I mean, even myself looking ahead at retirement, like it's far away. And 
I love to travel, so I envision hopefully traveling the world or, you know, by, by the time I retire, we'll probably have space travel, maybe travel in the space. And <laughs> looking back on it, sure, like you need to have that financial background and um, have your finances in place. But for me, it's more about like the experiences and the relationships that I, I make over time. And I think that's what people are starting to realize is that a paycheck is great. You need that. Um, but like focus on those relationships. And if you can have that at work, it's, I mean, we spend a third of our lives working, so we should, we should enjoy what we do. And, uh, I think companies are starting to realize that more. So, and I think you reach the, you make a good point there. And that is that, you know, retirement itself, people think that retirement is okay. Well now I, I stop working one day and then I just generate the income off of my investments and I stay at home and I read books, um, you know, or something <laughs> like that. That's not what retirement's like at all. And so we, we've even stopped using the word retirement in our office and we've started just talking about a work optional lifestyle. Uh, because, you know, if you want to work, a lot of people derive so much personal gain and pleasure from work. And I think some people feel like they're forced into retirement, like, hey, I've hit 65 and now I'm, I should stop doing this. And we just say, well, financially, if you want to stop doing it, if you hit your work optional point, well, great, then you don't have to another, put another day in if you don't want to. But if you do, then just go ahead and do it until you right. just don't want to do it anymore or go to part-time or you know, and or quit your job and do something else that you really wanted to do. I mean, I, I just think that, that people look at work in a negative way and then they get to a certain point and they feel like, I should stop working. And you're like, no, you don't have to. One of our clients that retired this past year just went back to work. He sent us a notification saying, hey, I had another full-time job. It's just he just wasn't ready to retire in quotes, but he's totally work optional. So now yeah. he's doing it on his terms though, which is, I think is so much more fulfilling. I, I agree a hundred percent. And I think, um, it's so vital to have those finances in place, you know, early on in life because it sets you up for success down the road. And I talk to a lot of other founders and entrepreneurs and, um, I hear things like, I don't have any money. I'm putting it in my, you know, in my startup, in my company. So there's nothing to manage. And I'm like, dude, that's like the most important time to manage is like when you don't have a lot of money and every dollar counts, you need every dollar to go as far as it possibly can and, you know, still find a way to take a small percentage of the money you probably don't have and try to save that for the future. So I think even in the startup world, it's vital for entrepreneurs to have everything in place, even sometimes more than, you know, someone working in corporate America, because a lot of times you have those those benefits in the 401k, which at least gives you a little something. They, they talk to you about different insurance policies to have. You know, for me, I, I run a company, I own a company, and so it's just me telling myself. So it's important to have that advice, um, especially for, for kind of the startup ecosystem. Yeah, and another thing about financing with startups is just where the money comes from initially, right? Some just bootstrap it right off the right. get-go. Some get an angel investor. You know, there's, there's many ways to secure some funds. SBA loans. There you go. Yeah, yeah. SBA loans. So... For could you start a little or start talking a little bit about that story for for you and for Third Space? Yeah, so it's a it's a story that's still going on. I was trying to raise money. Um, we bootstrapped a lot of it. One of our um, co-founders became our first angel investor. Really bootstrapped a lot of the um, a lot of the early kind of pre-seed round of investment, and then we had uh, friends and family, a couple people like second or third connections, kind of buy into our round and. Um, now we first just started raising like institutional money, trying to go out to um, kind of bigger angels and VCs in the community here. And it, it, it is hard. It's a lot of um, biotech and health tech. And we're outside of that um, kind of vertical. But um, we're, we're talking to the right people and shaking hands. And, you know, we're trying to raise a million dollar seed round, which 
is, is a lot of money around here in Wisconsin. Um, you go out to San Francisco and, you know, someone, you have a napkin idea and you get $15 million for that. So it's a little <laughs> different out here, more risk averse. But, um, yeah, we're, we're uh, in the process of raising money and it, it's, it's tough. It's, uh, it's like a full-time job. You know, I could focus on sales one day or I could focus on investment. So it definitely takes away from um, kind of what I'm doing, working in the business and working on the business, two very separate things. So I'm just ready to be done raising money and focus back on growing and scaling and doing what I love. But it's a necessary evil um, with with startup life is you got to have money somewhere. So exactly. uh, we're, we're playing that game right now. Yeah. Is there, is there anything else that you wanted to ask Clint or I while we got you in the booth here? Any advice for entrepreneurs, startup folks when it comes to kind of what you do and getting your finances in straight? Yeah, I think that one of the one of the hardest parts about what we do and what you guys are looking for is that um, our industry makes it more difficult than it should be um, in working together with with entrepreneurs. I mean, we kind of see it in our offices. Um, you know, if somebody's got a great idea and they're feeding money to their company, they still need investment advice. Um, and there are various ways that you can pay for that investment advice. You know, we don't do it for free, but also uh, there is a situation where you kind of have to invest your, your time and resources in growing a, a long-term relationship with somebody because they may have a big economic event in the future. And, and you know, it's, it's hard to put in all that time and, and not really get paid off for a lot of it. So, uh, you know, I think our industry does a disservice to people. I, I think that what we should do and focus on is making sure that there's adequate emergency funds there, that people are being pragmatic in, in their approaches. When's the right time to set up 401k plans uh, for employees? You know, how much is that going to cost? I think that technology has changed things tremendously from a 401k perspective now, where they're a lot more affordable. I mean, we have a 401k in our office um, right now with only four people here, and we had one, we only had three people. So, um, you know, a lot of that's become more affordable. And then, you know, when to put in certain group benefits, you know, it, it's, those are all great conversations to have, and, and we feel strongly that, that anyone in the entrepreneurial space should work with fiduciary financial advisors there where they're truly doing what's in your best interest. You know, that's that's first and foremost that they're not first insurance salesmen or something like that because yeah. anyone will try to sell you insurance all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. I've been there before. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So, yeah. Well, hey, so thank you for coming into the, the booth here for, for this sure. episode. Thanks for having me. me some, yeah, awesome. we had jackhammers outside, and hopefully it didn't <laughs> yeah. even get picked up. Like, right before we started, they were jackhammering and moving everything over here <laughs> on the Rose Street. That's progress right there. <laughs> Thanks again for all those that are listening. If you have any topics that you're looking to have Clint or Nate or Jonathan or myself covered, just let us know. Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the states of Wisconsin and Texas. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, and Mitch DeWitt are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not be providing any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments that guests make should be construed as giving investment advice.
Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.